0: all right cool quiet on set thanks all right guys we are rolling into a really special episode of the candace owen show if you notice this is not my normal cave what i have behind me is a mile of the border wall being built i am here and i'm with someone who i have been dying to speak to really interested in a lot of the stuff that he's doing steve bannon Welcome to the Candace Owens Show.
1: Well, Candace, thank you, and welcome here to Sunland Park, New Mexico, at uh, We Build the Wall's first uh, first three-quarters of a mile a wall.
0: This is unbelievable. Now, I have a question. How did you get mixed up into this?
1: Well, Brian Kolfage, the leader and founder of this, he's the most wounded veteran in the history of the Air Force that's ever lived. He started this GoFundMe page during the depths of when President Trump was fighting the swamp and fighting the permanent political class back in December of 2018. Brian went on GoFundMe, I think he went on TV, and said, hey, it, it, they're going to stop President Trump from building a wall. Why don't we get private donations? So what happened, the donations came in, but you couldn't designate these to go build a wall. The way the rules work is that they just got to go to the Treasury. And so he was kind of torn. Somebody put me in touch with him. He came up to the Breitbart Embassy in D.C., and we sat down, and I just said, I said, look, it's pretty simple. Why don't you just go build a wall? Instead of The people didn't sign up to write a check to the Treasury. They built a wall. And he there goes, what do you mean? And so... I said, there's enough expertise out there. We put together a board of advisors. GoFundMe said, you have to go back to all $20 million, and you have to tell them, instead of the money just going into the Treasury, you're now going to actually build the wall. And I think $16 million opted in and so that's what we started with
0: oh I didn't even get that email I actually I donated so much instantly because I was like this is amazing and I would have gladly had it go towards building it because that actually speaks to one of the bigger themes of this entire presidency and what this sort of conservative kickback if you will is all about we don't need government right you can do stuff on your own and people sort of forget that like it's like we need somebody bigger overreaching to organize things and this is so grassroots right so, so tell me about this well, wall. Well, by the gap. way,
1: the four million dollars. So you are one of the ones of the sixteen million that was four million dollar gap. Eighty percent of those people, we never could get to. For yeah. some reason, they never answered. I never their got the email. E- I
0: never got the email. So somebody, I okay, we're going to get Candace
1: owns money at the end of the show. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. I
0: gave two hundred dollars instantly, and I never yeah. got an email about this, it this, afterwards. So and I so said, you're all right,
1: one, you're one of the opt-ins. We actually went back. We're so trying to go back to you to get an email to say we're, we're going to build the wall. And the amazing thing is. Uh, is like ninety percent of the first sixteen million hit it right away. Said, "Hey, go do it." I think if you look at the southern border crisis, you look at the border crisis. You, you certainly need, and the principal responsibility for the sovereignty of the country and the security of the country, obviously, is the government. What President Trump's doing? They're building massive amounts of wall. I mean, right here, we're right next to mile marker one, and what I mean by that, the Rio Grande River is right next to us. That is from the Gulf of Mexico right up to here is the border between Mexico and the United States. Here it pivots and that mile marker one is the first mile marker and they go all the way across all the way to San Diego right. and so it's nothing but mountains and deserts here's where you got to a big build big swaths of wall what we do we're like the special forces it's those areas like here at the Cristo Rey Mountain that the Army Corps of Engineers that either deemed as too hard to build or don't need to be built on private land and we go to the private landowners and work with them and so what you're sitting here today is a wall that was built uh, really over Memorial Day weekend, right? Uh, you know, in four days, uh, all the way up that mountain, and you—you you had the pleasure of taking that jeep up a thirty-three. I did, guys.
0: In- I did. I took the jeep straight up there, and, and I hope it, we
1: got some footage of that. We
0: one hundred percent did, and it is—it's—it is tough terrain, and I don't think people realize that. I certainly did it. When you talk about it, you think you're just like there's just this flat space. Yes. And why can't we build a wall? But this is really tough terrain. And, and you can see why this is advantageous yeah. for people that are illegal to just come right over and get in here. And this is a particularly tough area. Exactly. Um, so can you kind of talk about what goes on here in terms of drug trafficking and sex trafficking? Well, here's,
1: here's how we even got the idea. In fact, uh, we were down here. Chris Kobach and others on the team were here to talk to people in Demings, New Mexico, about building, you know, potentially building a wall down there and the meeting ended early, they had some time, and somebody put them in contact with Border Patrol, and I just told them, I said, hey, ask what are the hot spots down there? And they said, hey, there's a place off the Mount, Mount Cristo Rey that's really been, uh, the Army Corps of Engineers has passed on it for whatever reason, it's in a brickyard. And they have 19 cartel paths here. And so we came here, the local owners said, uh, up until a few years ago, it wasn't a problem, but now, this was all open. They said the cartels are bringing in Drug trafficking, human trafficking, sex trafficking. There are 19 pathways up there. You see how they abuse the women. You see how they abuse the poor, uh, migrants that are coming across. Something's gotta be done. And so we work with the private landowner, uh, Chris Kobach, uh, Brian Kofage and the team to build this. And quite frankly, it came together very quickly.
0: Now, here's my, here's my question. We know that there's drug trafficking. We know that there's sex trafficking. How, how can any person in politics make an argument that we don't need to have a wall at all at this border?
1: I think one of the reasons they don't come down here, one of the reasons we're having this conference, this conference today is to bring experts in, you know, from uh, Center for Immigration Studies, from Numbers USA, the top thinkers in the country, from national security to cartels to trafficking to the asylum issues. These are complex issues. We're bringing them here at a conference with social media influencers, people like yourself, that have large platforms, large audiences to contextualize this. Because we make a very simple point. If you come to the southern border, and you see this wall, and you talk to the people, and and there are many, many liberals here, but they will tell you that the crime has gotten out of control. And it's not a total solution, but the beginning of a solution, a, a, a potential solution, is a building of a border wall. And that's why this, I think, is so powerful symbolically, and that's why we bring people here.
0: You know, part of the pushback, I think, is just simply what we're all sort of categorizing under the balloon of Trump derangement syndrome, where at the po- they're at the point now where they- it doesn't even matter if they're harming Americans, it doesn't matter if children are being sex trafficked, it doesn't matter if drugs are being trafficked, and we know that we have this huge opioid crisis, which happens mainly because it's being trafficked over this border. Yeah. They don't care as long as it doesn't make Trump look good, right? Yeah. Their, whole, their whole strategy here is, as the, if he actually stopped this problem, it would make him look good.
1: Yeah. Here's, look, the, the it's a tragedy of biblical proportions what's happened in Central America. The, these migrants are coming up here, and now that, and we had experts say today, there's not a mile of the northern Mexico border, the southern border with the United States, that's not controlled by cartels. Okay, the cartels have turned this into high-margin businesses, big cash flow businesses. In fact, drugs and opioids are not as high as the human trafficking. Not one person gets across there that is not the cartels don't approve. In fact, they had a presentation today say, if you go around the cartels, they will kill you. Some of these bodies you're finding of where this was the Border Patrol. Said we had uh, Brandon Judd mm-hmm. and Chris Crane from ICE, Brandon Judd from the Border Patrol. They said, and Hector Garza from the uh, uh, Laredo sector, he said... If you try to avoid the cartels to get into the United States, they will kill you on the Mexican side. So you're
0: saying the people that are coming over this border are cartel-approved? Yes,
1: yeah, so cartel, the cartels are basically taking their money. Right. And that's how the cartels have a monopoly on it. Look, we've had people from Juarez come and thank us for building this wall. The purpose of this wall is to break the back of the cartels. There were 19 paths up there that the cartels were using in their business model. Right. And remember, the cartels are what have made every town in America is a border town. It's just not El Centro and Nogales and uh, in Yuma, in El Paso, in Laredo. It's the, We have uh, radio guys here from, uh, from North Dakota. Right. Every town's a border town. In Chicago a couple of years ago, for the first time since 1929, the Chicago Crime Commission came out with a public enemy number one. The public enemy was El Chapo because the, the, the drug wars in Chicago, those territory wars were being fought by proxies for the big cartels in Mexico. The cartels are paramilitary operations that have tremendously sophisticated marketing, sophisticated finance, sophisticated logistics and operations. Nobody comes from Central America through Mexico that is not paying money to the they cartels. They are the government. I forced, mean, exactly. The cartels they, they, are the government. They have taken over a lot, I think, in certain areas of this country. Uh, they've, they're operationalized as a government. What President Trump, I think, is adamant about about building this wall is you begin to break the backs of the cartels. And we've seen from people here in Juarez, remember Juarez went from a great border town, the sister city of El Paso, uh, to a crime infested, I think it's the 37th highest murder rate in the world, homicide rate. That wasn't like that years ago. It was when the cartels started to take over. To break the back of the cartels, you have to build a wall. I agree with you 100%. I think some people, particularly on the left, would do anything not to have Donald Trump have a victory. Right. right? If Donald Trump was a big peace and prosperity to our southern border, they would consider that a defeat because the Trump derangement system has got them so they just say they can't win anything.
0: <coughs> you know, me. one of the things that I really love watching you do in general is just you enter in a lot of political assessments. You're able to sort of check the temperature, countries all over, and, and uh, a lot of times put forth a lot of accurate predictions about, about what people are feeling. Um, and I had watched, by accident, by the way, I want to be clear here, I do not watch CNN, but CNN watches me when I'm at airports, people, Okay. And I actually was, I was glad I caught it because it was a really good interview between you and Anderson Cooper. Um, and he was asking you your predictions for 2020 in America. Um, and you gave some, some really well thought out conclusions about just where the American environment and conscience is right now. Can you just expand on what you think this is going well, to look, amount I, to I, in I,
1: 2020? I, I think it's, to a large extent, the same issues that were before us in 2016 or before us in Trump. Remember, President Trump ran on three, I think, basic principles. Number one, to stop mass illegal immigration, limit legal immigration to protect our workers, okay, and to get our sovereignty back. On well, mass illegal immigration was protect particularly African-American and Hispanic, work, low-skilled workers, and we've seen that's had an impact. But President Trump, you're seeing now the lowest unemployment in, in African-American history, lowest unemployment I think in 50 or 60 years in Hispanic, and wages starting to rise, particularly in those areas of agriculture, oil field services, construction, where you're trying to limit the labor pool on on, on, uh, on legal immigration also to make sure that there's not too much competition so people can kinda start getting jobs in the tech industry. The second plank was bring manufacturing jobs back from Asia. Basically you gotta confront China to bring the supply chain back. The third was get out of these pointless foreign wars in, in the Middle East, particularly in Iraq and Afghanistan and President Trump's fought that. that. Those issues are not issues that are gonna be solved instantaneously. Look at today, the, the day the Supreme Court ruled on the ability of President Trump to use DOD money to actually build the border wall. President Trump has been full-on against the established order, and we're now three years into this. I think it's going to roll into 2020. You have seen one thing. From the corporatist globalists that Hillary Clinton represented, the Wall Street faction of the Democratic Party, you've clearly seen the populist aspect of that, whether it's more socialist or more populist like Elizabeth Warren, start to get traction and try to counter... Uh, President Trump's, you know, President Trump's economic program.
0: I want to talk about that because, to me, the left is obviously effectively (coughs) splintered. You have the more moderate Dems in the middle Mm -hmm. that seem to be losing control, a stranglehold, and then you have this uprising of of socialists that are, are really radicalized, and they're talking about open borders, right? So their focus isn't so much on how America is being harmed uh, by people that are coming in, the migrants. They're more focused on protecting the migrants once they get here. How do you see that debacle playing out? Because I see on social media, it's, it's bizarre to think that people are actually making comparisons uh, between our holding facilities and concentration camps.
1: Yeah, I think the rhetoric has gotten totally out of control. But I think these people are open borders people and they, 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 they've uh, converged economic migration to political asylum. I mean, the system's clearly being gained. We have a system of political asylum. That's why I think President Trump today in Guatemala was announced we had the safe party third third country where the the refugee rules throughout the, the world are kind of negotiated at the UN. You've got a system of treaties, and it's supposed to be the first country you go into. Absolutely, you're supposed to ask for political asylum. That's why he's putting pressure on Mexico. If you if you had that in place and you were, um, and were making and and effectuating those uh, those laws. You wouldn't have the mass migration problem up here that's what president trump's trying to do and today in guatemala they agreed to the to 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 really um abide by these treaties. that's going to have a huge impact on this what we've allowed is that people say well they want a better life there's absolutely no doubt there's a better life in the united states than it is in central america the point is is that And this is in Europe, too. If you start having economic migration that goes outside your immigration system, you're just going to have just a flood of people that can't be controlled. So what you have to do is that that economic migration is really the immigration. We take a million immigrants a year. Uh, There's been a whole bunch of proposals by President Trump and others to to re. Do our immigration system maybe be more merit based? There's a lot of debate and also argument. Should be
0: merit based. I mean, I mean, I hear this, and and there's debate and there's argument. It shouldn't be merit based. I mean, of course, we, we do have asylum policies. They are being completely abused. I mean, there's no way. This is economic shopping. Uh, if you are really uh, fearful for your safety and you're just trying to get out into the I'm, I'm a area, hardcore,
1: I'm a hardcore economic naturalist. I'm for merit based as long as it. One of the central issues we have in the country is African American and Hispanic uh, participation in the tech industry. We're not gonna solve the problems of, of St. Louis and Baltimore and some of these industries, Detroit, until we have more blacks and more Hispanics in high tech jobs. Right. We can't continue to do that if they gotta compete against the entire world. I'm a big believer that if people come here to universities and, and go to the great university in the United States. I want them to go back to their country of origin because that's what's gonna make that country of origin great. I'm not a big believer that you have to take all the best talent in the world. It all has to come to the United States, right? Right. Our citizens, particularly citizens that have been here for generation to generation and generation have to get these opportunities. One of the ways we're going to do it, and I get really criticized about this, but one of the ways we're going to do it is you got to limit the competition in labor pools. And once you do that, You're going to have more African-Americans and more Hispanics in engineering schools. They're going to be in computer programs. They're going to be working in Silicon Valley. And that is going to lead to an economic renaissance in this country. When we stop spending $62 billion a year in Afghanistan, and we start spending that money in St. Louis and in Baltimore and in Detroit and other cities to rejuvenate these cities, and we've limited the, the competition for these tech jobs which I think is going to be fine we're going to be fine with that And in it'll help to grow the economy it'll help to grow our cities it'll help to grow our, our workforce and so uh, I'm not 100% on the the merit base because I think sometimes it's well, just it's so bringing I, I'll in I'll tell you
0: why I am and here's where I disagree okay. with your assessment so the problem that you're facing is that yes black Americans and Hispanic Americans should be competing, but do they want to? So what you're talking about... don't they want to. are no, talking no about a complete overhaul of the public school system. Well, they, right? Look they, they, at the goals. And, and I, this is what I talk about, and this is what gets me killed right. all the time. Look right. at the goals in black America. right? Look at how focused we are on culture. Look at how many how many black Americans say, what, in, at least in the neighborhoods that I grew up in, that they want to grow up and be doctors, or they want to grow up and be engineers, versus how many say they want to grow up and be LeBron James, or be Jay-Z, or be a football player. So until we see the public school system do a complete overhaul and by the way, it's, it's getting worse. When I was in school, it was kind of the beginning of victim culture, right? So I was forced to take a Feminism 101 class and learn about why men were really bad. They're teaching kids all sorts of crazy things that they have, they're not practical skills. You know what I mean? Feminist dance class 101 is not a practical skill that you can use. Learning gender studies is not a practical skill that you can use. So my 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 issue is I think that the school system itself is rotten and until that gets overhauled, you're not going to see people competing for meaningful jobs in this country and yet in these other countries like China, right, like India, um, uh, even in, in Nigeria, I think the most successful um, ethnic group in America today are Nigerian Americans, just stunning, right? Go, go tell that to Black Lives Matter, who says that this country uh, is uh, judges you on the basis of a, on your color of your skin, and that just goes to prove that our goals within America are not the same as it is in the rest of the world.
1: I, I, I come from a black, uh, predominantly black working class neighborhood in Richmond, Virginia, in the north side of Richmond. A
0: lot of and,
1: family there, and and, and uh, yeah, and Richmond, yeah. Richmond a great town. I love it. North side of Richmond it gets a bad rap. It's it's kind of a, a tough part. Uh, of, of town, but they're great families, they're working class families. The public education system certainly has got to be improved, there's no doubt about that. Uh, it's, it's very weak in a lot of areas, I think it's, it's way too progressive, it's, it, it, it inculcates people I think sometimes not to, to, to aspire to the best things. However, I'm just saying from my personal experience living and growing up in that neighborhood and going back, my 97 year old dad still lives in the same house we've had since 1955, my parents refused to flee to the suburbs in the 60s with a big white flight, like, because they said, hey, this is our neighborhood and these folks are going to be our neighbors and and and, uh, and it'll be fine. And it turned out to be fine. It's, I, I'm very proud of my neighborhood in the north side of Richmond uh, about the, the community that was built there. And I've seen in my own personal experience, those folks, you know, black Americans are just like white Americans. They want to go to engineering schools. They want to go. VCU now is a big uh, public university in, in, uh, in, in Richmond that has a vibrant, robust engineering program. You've got uh, uh, you know, other schools. So I think it's, and I think we've got to continue to push that. The, the we should central, go back the, to pushing it because the, the,
0: that is the mindset that my grandfather had, right? But it's a different time now. My grandfather, same thing, came from nothing, made something of himself, himself in America. Now you have people that are looking for excuses and looking to be victims. And it's, it's, it's being promoted in the culture that like find out why you should be upset. How is Black Lives Matter based on really nothing, right? If you go back and look at the actual numbers, able to grow chapters all across the nation on fluff. Because victimhood is being taught. Is this as a why virtue. you're so controversial? This is why I'm controversial. <laughs> because a, I'm, talking this this the I'm talking about This is why you're not on Don Lemon. Why isn't lies. Don Lemon?
1: Why isn't Don Lemon have Candace Owens on?
0: Because I know the facts. So no, he can't. He can't. He can't it's play it's the, a, the, d- the. police brutality is what's impacting Black America. No, the illiteracy rates right now are what's impacting Black America. Seventy-five percent of Black boys in California can't pass a reading exam. Across the city of, uh, of of Baltimore, they went to five schools, could not find a single child that was proficient in reading and writing. They're not literate. If we're talking about literacy rates in America are, are dropping and no one's talking about it. Instead, the forefront every night is, is Black Lives Matter, police brutality. Uh, is Trump's statement that he said, could it be interpreted as racist? Should there be an uprising about this statement when he said well, good I people think that's on one both thing. sides?
1: With President Trump, like, for instance, that, you know, they continue to call him a racist you know, all the time. But his economic policies, what it, particularly in regards to immigration, is to make sure that African-American and Hispanic low skilled workers are not we don't have the zone flooded with 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 more labor and that's that's the only way you're going to get wages up you're not going to do this i don't think through a minimum wage of 15 dollars the way you're going to do it is you're going to limit the labor pool and continue to build a robust economy right so president trump's policies president trump's policies are directed i think to help not just all people, but particularly to help the working class in this country and the, and the African-American and Hispanic working class. And, and
0: that's the information I try to get out. Is I'm like, you want to know why I'm pro-Wall? Because to not have a wall is racist, right? If you want to talk about—actually, in 2008, it was the uh, they commissioned a report. The, the, the United States uh, Commission of Civil Rights did a report, and they, it was on illegal immigration. And they determined that the number one class of people that are impacted uh, uh, by no immigration is yeah. black Americans yeah. between the ages of 18 and 21 yeah. because they are competing— with them for they're the, the yeah. low-wage, low-skill yeah. workers. And I get this information out. Yeah. I'm like, every black American yeah. should be pro-wall. So Build it's, the it's, wall. It's,
1: in fact, tomorrow we've got uh, some black entrepreneurs going to, to speak in the afternoon. Uh, Steve Camerata today from the, I think, Center for Immigration Studies made this exact point. If you look at all the analysis, the community that's most affected by mass illegal uh, alien labor is the African-American community. And I think that's why, remember, this wall in, in a... Um, and border security helps people in Mexico. It helps people here, the Hispanic community and the black community here in El Paso. It helps the community throughout the country. What it does is it decreases crime and it increases economic opportunity for citizens in the United States, particularly low-skilled labor in the United States. And that's why I think President Trump is so adamant about trying to build a wall. And by the way, every, every time you try to build a wall, You're attacked nonstop for being a racist.
0: Right. I know. And it's the exact opposite. So that's why I say that we've got to start changing the language and tell them that to not have a wall is racist. I say it all the time. You want to know who else it impacts? Hispanic Americans. They're talking about abolishing ICE, abolishing Border Patrol. Over 50% of the Border Patrol agents are Hispanic men. Yes. Right. So you are punishing people that are following the law, lawful Hispanic Americans, in favor of people that are committing a crime just to get into this country. And it's mind boggling to me that somehow they've been able to, to control the conversations this far and to control the dialogue, that people are saying that the opposite would be racist. And and you see that over and over again, and it's about getting in front of the conversation, which is why it's been so important for me to get down here, yep. and, and to constantly give a voice to things that are actually going to impact and help the, the, black the, the, America.
1: Your voice is needed here. It's one of the reasons we want to get the influencers. You know, today we had we had Border Patrol, we had Hector Garza from Laredo, we had Brandon Judd, the head of the union, and uh, and Chris Crane at ICE. And what you're seeing the left do today is to demonize, in their own communities, These Border Patrol officers, like you said, the majority are Hispanic, men and women. And in fact, it was a female Border Patrol officer, Hispanic, that actually guided us to this thing as the the most dangerous place in this sector to build the wall. What they're telling on ICE and they're saying on Border Patrol is the demonization by the left, by Antifa and other groups like that, that are really making it difficult to recruit. Officers, particularly in the Hispanic community, and difficult to hold officers. So this is going to get to be, I think, a major issue by next summer when you see ICE has been impacted and the Border Patrol has been impacted.
0: Well, what's worse is that there's no accountability for the people that are sanctioning violence against these people, right? So when you have people that are are leaking documents of ICE raids, what are they sanctioning? What are they actually doing? And how is no one ever being held accountable for this stuff? I mean, you're, you're basically making it okay when you see these these congresswomen that are going down and doing photo shoots yeah. and pretending that these kids yeah. are living in concentration camps. They're saying it's now acceptable. Yeah. It's now it's now your moral right yeah. to attack people that yeah. are doing their jobs to defend America.
1: Those two those two specific examples were addressed today. In fact, uh, the border patrol said when they were accused of running concentration camps, that basically made the guards like Nazis or SS in the community. They were even more demonized. In ICE, Chris Crane said. This whole, you know, constant evolution of what they're doing on these big um, uh, raids, the deportation raids, is to go after the criminal element that is making particularly the Hispanic and the African-American community so dangerous because you have a criminal element here from outside the country that's got to be deported. And to have that leaked, I think they got they rounded up 35 out of I think it was like 3000 they were targeting or 1000 they ended up getting 35 because the documents have been leaked by the permanent political class in Washington DC all it's doing is if you can't do these deportations the, the, the areas where these criminals live are only going to be more dangerous because they're still continuing to do their criminal activity.
0: That's exactly okay? right.
1: And if you start calling uh, these things, these things are not concentration camps. Uh, they're the best. Look, these are temporary facilities. They're thrown up to try to provide as much humanitarian aid as possible in a very difficult time. And certainly the Border Patrol, and particularly the Hispanic Americans that are the bulk of the Border Patrol officers, to have them, con- ter- you know, uh, compared. To Nazi guards and Nazi concentration camps, Sick. and they've got to go back into their communities, you're going to start having violence on these people before too long. And this is where I think we're coming to a crossroads. If we're going to be uh, a sovereign nation, you got to have the rule of law. And to have the rule of law, you have to have law enforcement. ICE and the Border Patrol are at the cutting edge of the most difficult issue we're dealing with in the United States today, I think, internally, and that's the, that's the, the rule of law regarding immigration. I think this is going to build to a head, and I think it's going to be amazingly
0: controversial. Now, let me ask you a question. Did you ever foresee this sort of, I guess, Marxist revolution happening in America? Because that's, that's what this really is. I mean, what we're talking about here is a form of Marxism. There's all these wars that they're, you know, the little guys should be against the big guys, and there's really no sense, but there's almost like constant revolution going all the time versus well, different groups, As a pop- As
1: a, a populist, I'm, I'm all for the little guys going against big guys. But yeah. let me, you, I think, yeah, it wasn't hard to foretell, you know, Andrew Breitbart, always made the, the, the argument that culture is upriver from politics. Right. Remember where we won the economic argument against communism, we didn't win the cultural Marxist argument. What we're what we the, the recipient we the um we're dealing with and Prager's one of the best at understanding this the cultural Marxist particularly the elite cultural Marxists in the universities in the media right uh, the thinkers that it's embedded with cultural Marxism that is what was not destroyed when the Soviet Union collapsed, right, when, the, when China started to become uh, more of a state capitalist country, when the economics was ob- obviously proven that capitalism, and particularly some form of free market capitalism, is the best way to allocate resources so that men and women can live free and, and, and get the benefits of their own work. What we didn't win was the cultural issues. And this is what, it, it started small. It started in the 60s, but the long march, as Dennis Prager says all the time, the long march through our institutions, and particularly our institutions to become really controlled and the high ground of our our media and our thinking and our universities and our education, some you just talked about, be controlled by really cultural Marxism, which was antithetical to the Judeo-Christian West and focused on such things, such basic elements as like the family to try to break it down. It's the radicalization of that. Now, here we are. In, in in 2019, I think the argument, and this is what I've been making as a populist, as a nationalist. I said, look, the millennial generation, because of the the financial crisis of 2008, et cetera, the millennial generation is nothing more than Russian serfs. Okay, you don't own anything, and you're not going to own anything, right? The, the bailouts of the, the bailout of the of the uh, 2008, where we just in, it, it flooded the zone with with um, with uh, cash, right? the the QE2, to bail out the hedge funds and to bail out the banks of $4 trillion, the reverse of that negative interest rates and zero interest rates means that your savings account doesn't mean anything. You can't put anything away. What millennials today, people under 30 today, they're better fed, better clothed, better dressed, have more access to information than any group of people in human history, but you're nothing more than 18th century Russian serfs. You don't own anything. You're not going to own anything. You don't own any real estate. You don't own any stocks. You're working in a gig economy. There's no, there's no retirement plan. In that situation when that's the form of capitalism that you that you have to live with which is not real capitalism when you have to have we have such a concentration of wealth and power and devil catch the hindmost everybody else when kids come out and they're 30 years old and they're they're already 20% behind where their parents are in income in that stage in their life they're 25% behind where they are in accrual assets there's no retirement plans out there they're not really going to own anything Yes, that form of capitalism. If you, somebody comes along and says, and "You already got the cultural Marxism in the culture," and they add on top of it, "Hey, we're going to give you free stuff," right. okay, a rational human being is saying, "Hey, I'm working like crazy and I'm not making anything." The millennial generation could be one of the most important, powerful generations in the country's history, and here's why: If you look at these wars we fought, you just had the Normandy, uh, you know, um, celebra- yeah. or, uh, commemoration, not celebration, commemoration in seventy-five years. Those veterans will tell you that they came from a different place in time, and and a lot of them were drafted, a lot of them did volunteer, but it was very uh, black and white of what the enemy was and what was to be done. If you look at the millennial generation, the generation before that, that fought these wars in the Middle East, these controversial wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, and everyday volunteer. There's not a greater group of patriots that our country has ever developed than millennials. And every day they're dogged by everybody. They're lazy, they're shiftless, they have no ambition. It's the exact opposite. This is a potential greatest generation we've ever had in the nation's history. It could be the background and the foundation for us to take another great leap in American greatness. I think that's what Trump's trying to reach out to, to remind us of the greatness that we had, and that can be replicated. But I don't fault kids for sitting there going, hey, I see how capitalism is. What we have to do is to make sure that this capitalism has not become predatory capitalism. What we've allowed to do is allow the financial elites and the corporate elites in this country to ship all the jobs over to China, so all the high-value-added manufacturing jobs that your grandfather and my grandfather could could, could could build a family upon. My dad worked as basically as a foreman at the phone company before he got a lower-level a white-collar job with no college degree, five kids, a a, a wife who was a housewife the entire time, it could go to Catholic school the entire time on one paycheck. You can't do that in America today. And until we bring these jobs back, until we bring these manufacturing jobs back, before we show opportunities to people, African-American, Hispanic, and the working class in this country, and show them opportunities in high value added manufacturing jobs, I don't, I don't sit there and go, oh, I can't believe they're socialists. They're socialists because the you haven't given them an alternative. And until we get in the way we're going to give them an alternative, you have to break the cartel on Wall Street's grip on Washington, D.C. You have to break these global corporalist country companies that don't think that they're domiciled in the United States. They do not put American workers first. What they do is they put their own profits first. And if they have to chase slave labor in China, they're going to chase slave labor in China, mm-hmm. financed by the pension funds of working class people here, and I understand this is where Dennis Prager and a lot of my comrades on the right say, Bannon, You're, you're this is where, you know, we leave you on populism because we believe in the Austrian School of Economics. Well, hey, the Austrian School of Economics doesn't work, and here's why it doesn't work. We're a perfect example of why it doesn't work. We've allowed a concentration of power, a concentration of wealth that has now overwhelmed the political system. The reason Donald Trump is President of the United States is one very simple reason. The working class people in this country Understood that the elites had did not believe in American greatness. They had sold out American greatness to Asia, to the party of Davos, and they were comfortable with that because they were making more money and had more concentrated wealth than they've ever had. But working class people in Michigan and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, Iowa, Ohio, they understood that America could be returned to her greatness with a leader like Donald Trump that focused on, you know, uh, lunch pail, lunch pail. Uh, Uh, Issues like bringing jobs back and this is what the confrontation of China is about is bringing that supply chain Back to the United States and who's been the person who's been the groups that's fighting the most? Wall Street the Republican donor class the Republican Party on Capitol Hill with this phony Radical theory of free trade the Communist Party in China is a totalitarian Mercantilist surveillance state that we help create Wall Street financed it, the city of London financed it, the corporatists gave them the technology. We now know from Google, once Google's sitting there lying about their participation with the communists, the Western companies did it, the politicians looked the other way, and now you've had a populist like Donald Trump saying this has got to come back. And every day he is fought by the Wall Street faction, he's fought by corporate faction. Once we start bringing those jobs back, you're going to see a renaissance in American manufacturing, and that renaissance is going to lead to an incredible amount of growth and opportunity for the millennial generation, and then they're going to be capitalists. They're not going to be socialists. So I tell donors, I said, hey, you may hate my guts, but the, the choice you have is not between Steve Bannon and the heritage. The choice you have is between what the populist nationalists on the right say, and AOC, and Omar, and Bernie Sanders, and Elizabeth Warren, who puts a little nicer face on it, okay? That's the options you got. We're gonna be one of two things. We're either gonna be quasi-socialist, which is, looks like the path we're heading, or we're gonna be a free market capitalist country. But the way to be free market capitalism is let's be free market let's capitalism. Let's be free. Market let's capitalism. Be free market capitalism. Once the millennial generation gets a taste of true capitalism mm. and sees the benefits in their own lives, they're not gonna sit there and have 56% of you say, I choose socialism.
0: See, okay, I, I agree with all of your assessments about the fact of how we got into this predicament and why so many millennials feel bitter towards capitalism. But I think the one thing that you're missing is the element of brainwash that goes on the, uh, at the school system level. So they're not unpatriotic because they've lived in a country and they've had no opportunities afforded to forge them. They're unpatriotic because that is literally being taught in the classroom as a virtue, that there's something inherently wrong with being an American. That if you love being an American, I mean, I go to college campuses and if somebody breaks out in a chant and says USA, you will have groups saying that, that it's a racist chant. Think about that. USA is a racist chant. So that's an element that I think you can't extract from the from the the millennial mindset is that we've gone through the public school system and I don't know I, I personally don't know when when uh, the left took over the school system. I don't know when it happened, but I can tell you based off of my experience, I understand why you're seeing people that are kneeling when they see the flag. They hate They hate America because they're being trained to hate America. I don't know that if suddenly America becomes economically strong, you're going to see these millennials, I'm a millennial, turn around and be like, oh, yes, that's what we want. I think you're going to see them go, look at us, the oppressors again. Here we are taking, we're so wealthy, we should be giving more. And, that's, and I think that that is what AOC well, okay, and these okay, people are mining. Here's,
1: here, here's my point. You're we're not gonna you're not going to persuade people this. This is not something you're gonna talk through. This mm. is something about action. Okay? What people are gonna look at is the lived experience of their lives. We have enough millennials that have served their country and served their country in horrific Conditions in Afghanistan and Iraq and throughout the rest of the world, and now in the South China Sea and the Persian Gulf and other places, you have enough people that understand what a good-paying job is. What we have to have is policies that lead to action, and in those actions, I people, I think people in their lived experience will start to embrace more patriotism and embrace more, uh, more capitalism. My point is, you're not going to talk this out. This is not this is the. the The country's divided. Right. And here's the country's divided. And I don't think the country being divided is necessarily a bad thing. The country is divided because people have two different ideas of how we ought to be governed. Right. Okay. And this is what a democracy is about. Democracy is about both mobilization and persuasion of getting your people to vote. And quite frankly, in 16, we did it. We did it very tightly against all odds with Donald Trump's message. I think the best candidate we've ever had in 18, we got to face up to it. We got smoked. We got smoked because we got outworked. They went door to door starting in the spring of summer 18. They were mobilized, they knocked on the door, and here's where they knocked on the door. Orange man bad, right? They're so focused on getting rid of Donald Trump, they're prepared in the heat. How we
0: got smoked. In the House of Representatives,
1: until we embraced, we got smoked. In the House of Representatives, we lost 50, if you gross up the number, we lost 52 to 46. We lost by nine million votes. We won by 72,000 votes in uh, 72,000 votes in 16 and we lost by ni- eight or nine million votes my definition that smoke yeah, until but the, we the embrace traditional
0: arc is that you win the presidency and then you have midterm you're you're,
1: you're you're looking for an excuse i'm dealing with fact the fact we got smoke you're dealing with oh this is what well, i'm saying you comparison like, when you say smoke like, 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 i'm, I'm so, not trying to excuse, like, but i'm saying when you say okay. smoke
0: is it it, it would have been amazing if we had won at all obviously i'm not sitting here going we did amazing but As i'm eight saying eight million votes is
1: eight million votes smoked in your definition?
0: No, but I'm saying is that... I'm, just, I'm, is looking, that, for a, I'm
1: looking for a yes or no. Is that smoking us? not smoke? It's
0: not good. It's not good. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm the last person to make excuses. I'm really no, not. No, no, I'm No, not but one here's of my people, point.
1: You sound I'm, like the I'm RNC. We have to embrace the fact. We lost. We have to break the fact. Why did we lose? Here's right. why we lost. It wasn't Obamacare or anything like that. They mobilized. The left is very good at mobilizing grassroots. It's the reason that they were empowered. It's the reason that, that AOC... Remember, a year ago today, mm-hmm. AOC is a bartender... You know, and I keep saying the Republican Party needs more bartenders, right? She was a bartender on, what the, on the on the midnight shift, on the closing shift. Today, she's the third most powerful political person in the most powerful country on the mankind's history. Okay, how did that happen? It happened through mobilization. They know how to mobilize, and it's kind of like the Tea Party. I make the analogy. They were like the Tea Party, and back in 2010, the Tea Party mobilized. This is what Andrew Breitbart and all those heroes from the Tea Party era mobilized the Tea Party, and that's what led to the Republican Civil War and eventually Donald Trump. It opened up enough of a gap that someone like Trump could could embrace this message, understood how to take it to a mass audience, was very dedicated to this, his default positions were that, and that's what led to the great victory in 16. This is about mobilization. Today we need the energy. It's, It's incumbent upon people like you to engage this young generation. I, I fight gra- the
0: culture war every day, and, and, and it's frustrating because there are some Republicans, and I call these never Trumpers, who don't understand the importance of it, where they, they stick up their nose to culture. We don't do that, we don't do funny. All right, well, when you don't do funny, and you let SNL do funny skits every Saturday, This is how you end up in a society where people are mocking Republicans, mocking Americans, and mocking conservative principles. And by the way, you want to talk about the path of least resistance when it comes to defeating the left? Black America. How come no one is spending time there? They rely on the black vote like you wouldn't believe. You're talking about swinging that five points and they're done. Hillary got 89%. They can't dip below 85%. And by the way, all you have to do to seize black America is get them the truth. There's no tricks involved. Tell them the truth. There, there's no party. The Democrats have been using, abusing, lying to black America, uh, destroying our communities, destroying the public school So system. how do we do that? I mean, this, this is what I do every single day. I mean, I started the Blackstone Movement. I go into the inner cities. I bring the message. But there has to be more support on the ground. It frustrates me to no ends, And I say this the whole time. If I had the RNC's budget, forget it. We wouldn't even have to sit here. Why do, you, why do you think
1: the RNC is so hesitant about really going on in on this? I don't know if mess.
0: they're hesitant about it, and I, I you know, and I, and trust me, I have a lot of friends there. I just don't think that they they understand the importance of culture. Andrew Breitbart's famous quote: "Politics is downstream from culture." I don't think they understand it. And there is something about Republicanism and conservatism that, and I don't know how it happened, that is just so far apart from culture where it's like it always has to be serious. We should always be having serious, stern debates. We we can't have fun. They're giving us nonstop humor. AOC is hilarious. Why? Why aren't we mocking that in skits? I do that, right? She goes and wears white pants and puts on red lipstick. I go and put on white pants and red lipstick and go cry over something else. That is more impactful. This is the generation that we're bringing up. Generation the Z, one the millennials. Thing we, the, one, the,
1: the one thing I think we need right now is more candidates like AOC in the Republican Party. I agree. We need, I keep Why saying, aren't they finding we need, them? We need, we need less. Well, because we, you shouldn't depend upon the Republican Party to find them. you got to generate them. Here's what we need. We need more bartenders and less lawyers. Right. The, the one thing that AOC has. She has a lived experience of working class people. Right. I do find I do admire her when she sits all, all the time. and says people you mock working class people all the time. She, uh, in many situations, that she's right, and the reason what she's was working class, she was a bartender working for some de minimis wage and tips. She knows what it is to close up a a, a, a bar at two o'clock in the morning, right, and and do that type of hard job. We need more of that in the Republican Party, and the only way we're going to get that is that Candace Owens and others are going to have to recruit those. If we depend. Upon the donor-driven, political consultant-driven apparatus that is the RNC, right. you're going to get more donor class, um, political consultant class. You know these perfect lawyers that turn out that they can't win, right. and they, even and even if they we do, we need more
0: charismatic people. I mean, I'm looking at the people that were running, and I'm going. You don't even sound. This is not going to captivate people. Believe it or not, people so make their go, decisions so based gonna, off of really dumb decisions. Fine. So
1: how are we going to do that?
0: I mean, look. I, I came I, here
1: looking for I answers. I have a
0: list. I have an entire list of people that they should be running. Don't get me. I, I have these people at the Blexit rally speaking. They're young. They're energetic. They're in the streets. They're wearing MAGA hats. They're they're with their their microphones, going up to people on the streets, saying, you know, you put a black kid in a MAGA hat and have him go on the streets. They're all over the internet, and I'm mining these people. I mean, I'm in group chats with these how people. How dangerous
1: is that for young black Americans to wear oh, MAGA it's, it's hats? Oh, it's the
0: best thing ever to watch because it's not dangerous. What you actually see is what the left is, right? Because they say they're fighting for minorities. All they want is for minorities to have a voice. That's why they're out here screaming on her pussy. Hats. Didn't Ben
1: Miller today like mock yeah, uh, black yeah, young yeah. black men and who were coming? Ex- to I
0: love that. I, she exposed. She called them the black round right? And, and she got actually roundly condemned by both sides for the first time. That's what I'm trying to get them to do. Now you have these kids, these black kids that are wearing mag hats and going up to people and you're having these, these blue-head girls freak out and start crying and say, you're scaring me in the hat and this crazy stuff. It's, it's exposing looking of what for they a are. Safe space, we need right? more of that. More right? of that. Get these people on the streets. Get these people like for me, how I got started, a person I had no money. I was on YouTube just kind of talking about it and saying something's not right here. I had a, a person out in California send me a $5,000 check said, you're going to need a suit. I think you're going places. You need to buy yourself a suit, right? And, and, you know, how much money do you need to get to the next step? That whatever $500 a month that he started giving to my Patreon account, look at how far it got me. You, know, you, you need, and this is, again, you're saying, it doesn't need to be, you're right, it doesn't need to be the RNC. It needs to be grassroots efforts right. from Republicans around the country that just care and are paying attention because the kids are out there. They're working. They're smart. They understand what's going exactly. on. Believe in them. You know what it does when you run black candidates that want to run, which they want to do? all of a sudden the left has to debate their damn ideas because calling the other guy racist doesn't work. You can't, you, that, that's why AOC blocked me. She, can't, she, she couldn't do her magic, old white Republican men. I came from nothing girl, we came from, I actually came from less than you came from. So tell me your ideas. If your ideas are socialism and you, all you have to do is, is force to debate someone who's a capital, unapologetic capitalist like me, who's gonna win the debate? She doesn't want to debate. I offer her $100,000 to debate. A donor stepped up and said $100,000, wouldn't do it. Why? Because I'm black and I'm a woman, that's why.
1: Pretty powerful.
0: I mean, and that's where we're at right now is that we, we have to have more people that understand the fight. They don't understand the cultural element of it. And I get so frustrated because I'm sitting here and it's like it's like pulling teeth with everyone to get them to understand how important culture is. That's how you lost. Trump won because he was cultural. Right, yeah, hashtag right. lock her up. That's fun. Yeah. People don't understand these chants and why people are going wild. It's funny. He's irreverent. He's making fun of himself. They make fun of him being bald. He comes off the the. And he's oh, I do so well trying to comb my hair, and they make fun of me. He's able to mock himself and mock others. That is culture, and, and people don't get it.
1: No, no. I think on mass communications, he's he's the best. He's best the best.
0: He's the best. And I still I go into these. But the the,
1: the the subtext of him too, it's always. I mean. It is presented in a way using mass communication, whether it's Twitter, whether he's doing his rallies on TV, but there's a serious con it's not it's not superficial. He's talking when he's talking about you know lock he's talking about the problems we've got with the permanent political class in Washington DC. Same thing with drain the swamp. You know build the wall is here about the security there's always a very serious
0: even when everyone was freaking out i was like this is like locker up 2.0 send her back is not obviously the president is not going to deport ilhan omar but you're now seeing what people are feeling they're feeling that if you hate america leave they're seeing that there's resentment growing against america and that's why they're chanting that and people can't read that they can't read culture and it's just frustrating because people that could do so much if they could Read culture. We we could save this country. I really believe in. Well, the
1: humor you know, the humor is a is a difficult thing, and here's why. The left is so weaponized humor. You see it on the nightly talk shows. The Samantha B, you know, it was, used to be on the the Comedy Channel. Just it's all political. Right. It's all highly political, right? And, uh, and and the right has no counter to that. They've tried for years, and it just it hasn't worked yet. And I think it's one of the reasons what you're talking about. As people on the right haven't taken it's dismissed as being non-serious right and they don't realize how powerful it's been right right and particularly the thing of, of, of not just making fun but a parody of this every night It's just it's like a acid that just drips down the people's to a point Yep. Right,
0: and it, it, it makes people on the left and right. If they're laughing, they're less angry. It's like, oh, okay. Even people, what I, I retweet people if it's funny and they're making fun of me, I'm like, ah, it was actually pretty good. You know, that's
1: an <laughs> yeah. Andrew Breitbart trick. He retweeted retweeted all the worst stuff about him. Right. Immediately.
0: What do you think he'd be thinking if he was alive today? He called. I watched his old CPAC speeches, and man, I don't think we.
1: I don't think we'd be in this place. I think that he was the most brilliant. Um, he had the most sophisticated understanding of cultural Marxism. In fact, I recommend everybody in your audience that hasn't read it, Get Righteous Ignition, the book that he wrote right before he died, uh, which is a very in-depth analysis of the Frankfurt School. I think it's the best explanation of the Frankfurt School that can be understood by the layman, somebody that's not a specialist in the area, in the power of cultural Marxism, in the power of culture to drive politics. Andrew was not a political person. Andrew was a cultural warrior. But I don't think we would be in the place we are today as it's seeming that the cultural warriors on the left seem to be writing because I think he would have galvanized a generation of people like yourself with with leadership. I don't, I don't think we have the leadership today. we got people like you, but you don't have, like at a senior level, someone that understands it in a very detailed way. You've got some terrific people out there, don't get me wrong. Andrew was very special in that regard, and also he was a savant about – New media. Remember, he had he had uh, worked uh, with uh, Drudge for many years as a, as a as an editor. You know, he's one that he was Drudge's right hand man. He also was the launch. He was on the launch of the Huffington Post. He understood he understood how people access information in a modern age. You make that combination of understanding the cultural war that we face, the the, the sophistication of the understanding the Frankfurt School and how they've marched through our institutions, what it's done to. I mean, talking to you today is almost like talking like Andrew at the height of his game he was on fire about education. He was on fire about the culture. He was particularly on fire about Hollywood and no no comedy writers, no, 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 you know, all the funny guys had gone underground because they're afraid of losing their jobs. Right. I don't believe we'd have been in the same place on the cultural side if he had lived. And the reason is I think he would have galvanized a legion of young devotees like yourself that were gone and taken him as a leader and we'd be in a very different place.
0: Right, right. I, I totally agree with that assessment. I mean, he was absolutely brilliant. And it's, it's crazy to go back and watch what he's saying and go, oh my goodness, it's happening right now.
1: One, one, he understood it, he, one, he saw it coming. One, one aspect I think is not being talked about enough and I think that is um, um, that Andrew would have spotted right away given the sophisticated media. One of the th- people talk about, there doesn't seem to be as much fire or intensity on the right today in the summer of 19 as it was in 14, or 15 and 16 mm-hmm. leading up to the president's campaign. One of the reasons is, is that big tech has been allowed through artificial intelligence to really start to deplat, not just deplatform, but to delete and really take down. And you saw it the other day. One of our board members, uh, Marian Mendoza, you know, who's an angel mom, was kicked off Twitter. Unbelievable. K- kicked off Twitter because I believe illegal aliens now is a protected class or some technical aspect. I think that this is getting so endemic, and that's why. Remember, Trump was president of the United States. He won because of new media. It was a new media revolution that was started by people like Matt Drudge and Andrew Breitbart, but yourself and others, Mike Cernovich, all these people came along. In Trump's message, he was able to disintermediate the mainstream media because they were revolted. It's not just the progressive liberals. The established order was revolted by what Trump talked about. Right. He talked about building a wall. He talked about bringing jobs back from Asia. He talked about going against Wall Street. They did not want this. The reason Trump was able to get that message out, and particularly get it out to, to low propensity voters, was his ability of the internet to deliver. And I think you've seen Google. I think you've seen Facebook. I think you've seen a systematic use of artificial intelligence in other aspects to start to to to, to take this down. Right. I hope this antitrust Aspect they're kicking off. To. Google, Google well, has I, to go. I, well, I've said for a long it's time, I think up. these companies ought to be broken up and the data ought to be dumped into right. a uh, into some sort of trust and it ought to be managed that. But I think we have a bigger issue and a more important issue that's going to face us. And that is how to get full access, how people like you can't be deplatformed, how people like and Mendoza can use Twitter and not be... And taking off. This is much deeper than President Trump's, you know, Twitter followers. Right. It's it's an incredibly deep level, and I think it's one of the reasons you're seeing the lack of intensity. It's clearly got to be addressed between now and 2020 right. because I think in 2020, social media these influences, and that's why we yeah. wanted you guys we to get come that. We get, get more views, we get more views that you combine you, all you, the networks,
0: you, and we're getting, we're getting all exactly. the views on our Twitter feeds. Exactly. And, and they understand that, and look, I mean, you're exactly right, he was able to harness social media in the same way, I mean, when technology comes around, there's always that president that takes advantage of it, you had FDR on the radio, JFK on the television, because he was so good looking, how could you not, how could you not go for JFK, and then you've got Donald Trump in the Twitter fingers, right? He's like, eh, said it, sent, whatever, ah, I can't believe he's doing that, and now they're looking in the retrospect and saying, this was the hole, because they've been able to to manage that narrative so well before social media, right? You have two options, really, with the news. We're going to tell you what's going on. CNN is running CNN International, so you've kind of got that universal understanding of this must be what's going on in America. And then, oops, here's this hole now. You've got Candace Owens popping up, all of these people popping up, telling you what's actually happening on the ground. And it gives us so much power. And it should be the number one focus of this administration, or among them, chief among them, is addressing this head-on, because the implications, it's bigger than Trump. Right. If, yes. if, if they somehow are able, it'll be longer able, lasting, be longer Trump, lasting. Right. if they are somehow able to, to get this under control and get this under their bubble, I mean, I, I don't see another direction in, in another way that we can save this country and make sure that we're getting the truth out. And speaking of CNN International, I want to ask you this because you spend a lot of time overseas. Yeah. What is the what is the read in Europe right now of what's going on in America? And, and how can you correlate, you know, obviously, Brexit? We have what's going on with Salvini, uh, Brazil, Bolsonaro. Yeah. Just give me, some, give well, me something Well, there's a general
1: populist, I think, revolt worldwide, whether it's Bolsonaro in uh, in Brazil, Salvini in Italy, Nigel Farage and what happened in Brexit in, in England and other places, uh, uh, Marine Le Pen in France. And what it is is that whether it's Brussels or Washington, D.C., you're seeing a rejection now of working class people and middle class people to say, hey, I don't want some centralized authority making decisions in my life. And particularly when they bought into kind of the party of Davos model, which is the centralized power of finance and really to ship... All the jobs to the lowest uh, labor pool, you know, in China and East Asia, and so I think you're seeing a rejection of that across the board. And here's the power of it: is Salvini and Bolsonaro and Trump and Farage are all the same in the fact that it's those revolutions have all been done on social media. Remember, ah. uh, well, Bolsonaro, I think the entire campaign spent seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. His entire campaign was run on Facebook Live. No Salvini way. was the same way. Yeah, So The thing that attracted me to Italy and the reason I went over a couple of years ago to watch the campaigns after left the White House is that. The, 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 the five-star movement in the league, one was a populist movement really built on the internet. That's the five-star movement. And I think people are looking at that as a model for here, literally on the internet uh, with no central apparatus and, and really dealing about crony capitalism and corruption and incompetence in government. And then you had the more of the nationalist side of Salvini in the league that looked at more of the national issues where immigration and jobs in the economy. Those two came together after the campaign, after, you know, kind of... One had 37% and the other had like 17 and put together a central, a national government that still exists today that may be dissolved in a couple of weeks. My point, Salvini, I went around and followed those guys. It was all Facebook Live. I think both campaigns, a couple, couple of million dollars. It's like Trump was on Twitter. It was Nigel Farage. These are bootstrap organizations. What it shows you, in a digital age, the analog is still more important. That you, as a authenticity, an authentic character that believes deeply in things, right? That believes deeply in things. That is the most important thing in a, in a digital age, is the authenticity of your person, your character, what you believe and how you drive a message. And so I think that this revolt, and look, it goes through good days and bad days. You know, We had a tremendous showing in the European parliamentary election, but then afterwards we weren't able to kind of combine all the populists and nationalists to become the type of power in the European Parliament it could become. And the reason is, is that the election in the European Parliament changed the national election equation in Italy, in the United Kingdom and in France so much that now they're actually focusing on national issues. The Brexit party that was created in six weeks finished first. That's Na- unbelievable. Nigel Farage if you look at the polls today and I know you know Nigel very well, if you yeah. look at the poll and you've spent a lot of time in London, if you look at the polls today, if it was held today, the Brexit Party would win in a national election, and Nigel Farage would that be prime is minister.
0: Insane. He's
1: also created and kind of and kind of risen up because of now this focus on Brexit. Boris Johnson, Boris Johnson's the prime minister, and Nigel has brought, you know, in the in the Brexit campaign, you had two campaigns. You had Boris Johnson was running the official one, and Nigel Farage was running the UKIP one. Nigel Farage focused on immigration and jobs. Boris and those guys focused on the sovereignty of their country. One was an intellectual argument. The other was right in your gut. Right. Okay? And Nigel Farage drove that towards the end and really, I think, was the guy that, that brought about, and I think most people in England think, brought about the actual Brexit movement. Nigel Farage today is positioned to either be a partner with the Tories, I think, going forward, because I don't believe on October 31st they exit, or to be, I think, Prime Minister of, of England, which would be a shock to the entire system. Right. The party of Davos... And I call the party of Davos after that town where the World Economic Forum is. This is mm-hmm. the combination of the consultant class, the, the, the bankers, the private equity firms, the hedge funds, and these global corporations. Their central function in life is higher margins and higher stock prices. The way they do that, the principal way they do that is lower wages. They are always on the search for lower wages. And what you're seeing in places like Europe in the United States is a rejection of that model. What comes after that, we don't know. But I gotta tell you, if we don't work together to essentially save capitalism. We're going to get socialism, and the way, reason we're going to get it because you've already defined. We've lost right now. We're on the losing side of the culture wars. Right. We do have an education system that that turns out people in a certain way. If you start to continue to lose the economic argument, you're going to you're going to lose the yeah, country, and disaster. that the, the stakes couldn't be higher.
0: That is you're right. It's an absolute disaster. That combination will be the end, and that that literally is why I work. Six days a week, travel six days a week. I don't care because I don't think people realize how much is on the line in 2020.
1: You got to go on Don Lemon. You know, you got start. No, the, the, you know, Don. No, and here's what you got to do on CNN. You got to be on MSNBC and CNN. And here's the them. reason. Here's the reason. Here's the reason. The Fox audience and the right, they know you and they're going to continue watch. You're going to get a bigger audience, everything like that. You've got to get in the grill. And, and, and there are people that would watch you on MSNBC and CNN to say, you know, what she's saying's got a lot of truth in well, it. That's I want why to know, they won't I want have to know me.
0: more. I want to know more. That's why they won't have well, me. the whole come stops. Do you get what I'm what? saying? That's why no, they won't have me. No, they they're, I don't get what you're they're watching What's, their what, viewers what, what,
1: what jump st- st- out. What stops Candace Owens?
0: Nothing stops me. You're a me. force of nature. We hear your story. You're, just telling you, you're sitting there call? whining
1: oh they won't have me on. They
0: won't have me on. Have I, mean, I would never turn down CNN or MSNBC. I go everywhere. Force I believe them. in what I believe Force in. Force them to have Do you me know on. what I'm saying? I Force them to have wanna, me. If they wouldn't have me on after that congressional Force testimony, okay, where I was getting calls to go on the news in freaking China, okay, then they will never have me on. I mean, I th- that was like well, we got BBC the most to, we, watched.
1: We have BBC here tomorrow. You ought to be on BBC. Yeah, Start. Yeah.
0: Actually, BBC, BBC always calls me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The BBC, BBC is not is not like CNN. But the, the leftist ones here, I think they're, they are You think, think CNN blocks news.
1: you? Because they're afraid of
0: you. 100. I make I make too much sense, and I'm and, and I'm not afraid of them. Are you
1: saying Don Don Lemon's a coward? Don
0: Lemon is a coward, and he is afraid of me. And I have said this thousands of times. He's an a absolute coward because he doesn't believe in in. Is, that, he is, believes is him. that a throwdown? Let me tell you something right Don now. Don
1: Lemon is that a throwdown? It is
0: a throwdown, and let me tell you something right You're now. You're being Any challenged, person, Don
1: Lemon. Your manhood's being challenged it by is, Candace Owens. So I am just saying. It
0: I'm has just, been his masculinity, manhood has been challenged over and over again. And here is what I will say. Any person that actually believes what they believe will sit across the table and have a conversation and debate with anybody because you believe it. If you believe you're on the side of the truth and, and, and your ultimate goal is truth, then even if you're not sure about something, like I, I learned from you right now. I disagree with you on some things, but I'm learning and I believe what I believe. And it allows me to adjust. They're on the side of lies. So lies have to be protected at all costs. You don't want to have someone like me come in and, why do they and, protect, and you were like black America. Why do you think
1: they protect lies?
0: They, they protect lies because that's why would CNN protect lies?
1: just why do you think why do you think Don Lemon or it's about other power. people the
0: power I think the ultimate the ultimate game is power right so when you when you talk about what why do they want open borders everybody knows that's a disaster everybody knows when you talk about opening opening borders you're talking about you're spelling the end of a country right why do they want that because what they want is a new victim class of voters right come over here. We'll give you free stuff. We care about you. What is the left doing? They're appealing. They're making an emotional plea to the illegals in the same regard they made an emotional plea to black Americans back in the 60s. They're talking about growing government. and The only way to grow government is to have a weak, low, victim class of workers. And that we, is, We've that's got, we've got AOC
1: for. in Congress. Why don't we have Candace Owens?
0: CAO. You like that? Both born in 89? <laughs> AOC versus CAO? Yeah, I, like I just, that. You know, honestly, after I did that thing with Ted Lou, I just said to myself, is this really your job? Do you guys sit here for two and a half? You guys are such losers. I couldn't do it. I don't. I, I just I got too much energy, man. I, and I like to fight, you know, and, and we have. people I took
1: that part. Yeah, I, got I that like part. to fight.
0: We got good people in there. Dan Crenshaw, I think, is crushing it. And, he's, and he's making it. He's Fabulous. making it so it's understandable. He yeah. takes these debates. Yeah. He t- puts it on social media. I mean, he's clever. Yeah. 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 Um, and, you know, I belong on the side. I got to wake up black America. And I'm not trust me. Black America is not watching C-SPAN. So there you go. Great. <laughs> so we wrap every episode by allowing you to leave a, a, a voicemail for the world. For, you're going to look into that camera, and you're going to say, if you, could, if you could say, listen to me, world, I am Steve Bannon, this is it, what would you say to them?
1: Wow. I think that what you have to do, whatever country you live in, it's your, your duty and your patriotism and your, and your obligation, your dharma, to make your country as great as it is, what it was bequeath to you is to make it as great as it is as possible, to work hard, to uh, to think of future generations, but also think about every generation that came before you and what they did uh, to uh, to make it so that your benefits are today. And I think that uh, if every country, if people focus on their nations, people focus on their countries, those countries are going to be better. And to the degree that the United States can help and assist, we want to. I think we're a great leader in, uh, in the free world and a great leader in the, uh, in the in, in helping people. We're the most... Uh, generous nation on earth. And I think that we continue to do that. I think this wall shows the generosity of the American people to help destroy the cartels. So I think the working class in the world is the backbone of the world. Uh, And I think if the working class continue to focus and and to continue this populist revolt, that good things are going to happen.
0: There you have it, guys, the Candace and Bannon show live from the wall. Thank you guys for watching the latest episode of The Candace Owens Show. I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. As many of you guys already know, PragerU is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, which means we need your help to keep all of our content free to the public. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation today. I would really appreciate your support.